In a recent study, less than 25% of Christian adults say that their pastors are honest and someone that they can count on. Isn't that sad? When you look around today, who are the people that are modeling Christianity to you? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about on today's podcast. So turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and let's get into it. Well, hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez here. So glad and blessed, as always, to be with you guys as we continue our study here in 1 Thessalonians. This is podcast 190, and we're going to be picking things up in verse 9 and following. And this is kind of a part two, if you will, because in this context, we see that Paul is mentioning ministry metaphorically to that of a family. He references last time in the podcast where we left things off. We saw that Paul was referring to his gentleness as an infant child. He talked about taking care of them, teaching them God's word like a mother nurses her infant child. Today, we're going to be seeing the third metaphorical or familial illustration that Paul lays out to describe his ministry and the effectiveness of it as that of a father. And that makes you think especially those who are in full-time ministry. What does your ministry look like? I'm not saying what you do for a living specifically. Well, I teach five times a week, or I only teach twice a week, or I'm an administrator, or I teach a Bible study. I'm not saying that specifically. I'm saying in context of the people that you're called to just minister to, the example that you just are. See, a lot of times we put in the framework of a particular setting, But I'm speaking, if I may, real quickly to my faithful ministers of the gospel who listen to this podcast regularly. And sometimes on my travels, I have pastors tell me, hey, I listen weekly to your podcast. What a blessing that is. Let me just tell you, that is a blessing to be a teacher to teachers. I don't take that lightly. And in my conversation with some of you guys, let me just say it saddens me that many of you are not particularly looking at the impact that you can have around you in your conduct. A lot of times it's, what have you done for me lately mentality? Or we judge so much of the Sunday morning setting that we miss out on what ministry really ought to look like beyond just an hour and a half a week. Because my friends, let's just face it. Yes, preach the word. Be there before service and after service to meet the needs of people with a smile. Embrace people. Of course, if they're intimidated with COVID, don't touch them, right? But be there for them. Be faithful in preaching God's word. Be there to to show them that you care. But there's so much more going on, right, than that period of time. And that's what Paul is alluding to here as we dive even deeper into this particular passage. So as always, if you guys have missed any previous podcasts, you guys can get them wherever you get your podcasts, but you can also go to standstrongministries.org and click on podcast there and you can check out my notes as well. And I encourage you guys, if you're listening to this podcast and you have a small group, 
Let me know how we can minister and pray for your group. You can in, you can email us at info at standstrongministries.org. So with that being said, let's continue this particular study under the, the, the title, Do You Really Care About the People You Serve? So let me jump back, just read verses 7 through 11, and then I'll provide some commentary in verses 9 through 11, because last week we covered 7 through 8. So notice in verse seven, when he said here, but we were gentle. Again, that's that infant child, Nepoi. He says, we were gentle among you. And then he says, also like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous, remember that was a deep longing. He yearned to be with them. We were ready. We were taking pleasure to share with you, not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, here it is, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom in glory. And then verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So we'll just go to verse 13, as I just read, and look at this context, because this is so meaningful, my friends, as we are called as Christians to do ministry. Now, let me just set the stage here, if I may. Recently, as I was saying in the opening, a study was done by Barna and the Pastors Network and other outlets. And because of this whole, after COVID and a lot of people left the church and they weren't involved anymore, some of them try to hunt them down, try to reach out to them, whatever. And, and let's just be honest, we could do more. Okay, we could do more. But many of you guys who are now de-churched or streaming online, you're not serving, you may write a couple checks here and there to support your local church. That's not enough either. Okay, a lot a lot of that is sin. I just had a conversation with a friend of mine who was mentioning just people move around a lot and they don't stay established. And that's what I want to talk about today is you and I are not expected and I want you to think of it like this. When you go to the doctor and they don't examine you thoroughly, they're not paying attention, they're in, they're out. Or you have an issue with a car, they're in, you know, they look at it real quickly and you know that the diagnostic takes a period of time and then whatever the problem is, that takes another amount of time. And they're done within 30 minutes. And you're like, did you test drive it? Did you do a diagnostic check? I, I came in because there's a problem and you're now telling me that, I mean, problem solved and it took you that and maybe it did, but you and I know most of the time when, especially when it comes to people, that's just a car, but when it comes to people and their problems, that could take years. It's not just an overnight fix. It's not just a Sunday morning, hour and a half fix. And we have gotten to this point where we provide programmatic means as a way to try to help people. And then we have this mentality now, 
the populace, the masses, where we just heard, we're just heard, you know, labeled, go through it, and and we don't really connect. We're not really growing deep with people. People are not really growing deep with us. You know, we meet here and there once, you know, or twice a month at best. And this, you guys, has become now a a watered-down version of leadership. And so when we ask the question here on the podcast, myself included, remember, I'm not excluding myself from this. Do I really care for the people that I serve? Who are the people that God has called me to serve? It's not just faithfully studying God's word and knowing that I'll give an account one day. It's faithfully studying God's word and teaching it according to the Holy Spirit's direction. But in that, living it out faithfully amongst the people that God has called me to live life with, to do life with. No one's excluded from that. The people who are on a stricter judgment, obviously, are those who God has specifically called to do ministry far beyond what the marketplace does. People, not just who specialize, but people who are called as pastors, ministers of the gospel in a full-time capacity who are teaching masses amount of people the word of God and being an example that their life is on display, that in daily conversation, you have people who refer to that individual because that is their spiritual leader. That is their example. That is their witness. Those people will be held at a stricter judgment. You know, it's so sad that so many of us can immediately mention the people who falsely portray the gospel or we talk about the Ravi Zacharias's, the Jerry Falwell Jr.'s, the Mark Driscoll's of the world who are, who are preaching God's word and supposedly living it, living it out, and yet come to find out they're living double lives. Now, obviously, they all had their particular sins. Mark Driscoll specifically was spiritual abuse, foul language, a very prideful man that was not teachable that bullied people, okay? And that in and itself does not qualify a person, right? That disqualifies a person, according to Scripture. That's not my opinion. Read 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5, and that settles it. Now, in the process, you want to try to restore these people, but I don't think the mission is to restore them back into their position of authority if they've been abusing it for so many years. Okay, and I work with these kind of people. These are not people who are serving people. So they're actually a threat. Okay, they actually do more damage than good. And, and people say, oh, well, that's being too judgmental. You know, we're all saved by grace. Okay, yes, that's true. But let's look at the accountability that we have. And that's what we're going to look at right now. So you guys can tell that we're all burdened by this. And there's a, there's a lot of problems that go with uh, the lack of people in leadership who actually serve and care for people. Now, the challenge is on us as well, okay? As you're just living your life as a Christian, taking your kids to school and going to the practice meetings and going to the games on Saturday and then turning around and finishing that report and being in the marketplace, whether it's at the bank, whether it's at the hospital, whether it's you, know, you politics for a living, whether you run your own nonprofit, whatever, 
We are to be witnesses of Christ, all of us. But think about the people that you turn to when you have an answer, or excuse me, when you have a question about your faith. Who are the people you turn to when you have marriage problems? Who are the people that you turn to when you have issues with your children, when you need some parenting advice? Who are the people that you turn to when you got stumped with a theological question posed by one of your coworkers? Who are those people? And those are the people that I'm talking about that I want to, for you and hopefully those many who are listening, to look at this passage and say, wow, I need to be more like Paul here. And so what are the areas that I need to improve in and allow the Holy Spirit to work in me? And so one, as we saw last time, is when we teach the word, we are to be like a nursing mother. That's how intimately involved we are or we ought to be when it comes to people who we're communicating the gospel to. Cherish that. And so if you have a group of people that you disciple, that's how you're, you're to nurse them, to care for them. Remember, there was a description that God gave of himself as a mother caring for her children in Isaiah 49 and Isaiah 66. So that was no accident that Paul was referring to himself as a mother nursing her children. There has to be in verse eight, this pleasure, this longing, this yearning to not only be with someone, but to share with them the gospel in your own life. You and I know when somebody means what they say because of their actions. When someone just doesn't say, oh yeah, it's great to see you. Or, hey, we should get together, and you never get together. I mean, we've heard that before. I'm guilty of it as well. And yes, there, there is a level of honesty, you guys, that we need to confront. It's there. Don't avoid it. When we say those kind of things to certain people and don't follow up, it's because we really don't care. Now, we may want to. We may have a bit of a desire but the lack of caring in serving that individual, that's what it communicates. And we need to own up to it. So when Paul says, we affectionately are desirous to be with you, ask yourself how passionate, how desirous are you to be with certain people in your life? How, how, who are the people that you're drawn to who are the people you have deep affection for? You know, I've been serving a lot of people in my life and in public ministry through the years, you encounter a lot of toxic people. One day, yes, obviously there's some red flags, but things seem to be great. And then it just goes, goes south. And I've had so many people who blame me for their problems and somehow that's going to make them feel better. And you know what? At this stage of my life, where I'm at with my walk with the Lord and how God is using this ministry and the colleagues and friends and the Pauls that I have in my life, I'm, I'm fine with it. Whatever. That's between them and God ultimately. You can confront them. You can warn them. And I will do that. And I pray I will continue to do that but I'm not going to let the problems of people, nor should you distract you from what God has really called you to do. And so that's not real community. If people are trying to sabotage you, if people are trying to always correct you and point out your flaws, that is not a true friend. And if you have leaders who are doing that, 
my wife and I were just talking about a recent pastor who's very well known. I won't mention his name. It's not important. But he even admitted recently in one of his sermons that if he were to go back in this period of time, and he specified this period of time, it was almost like a decade. And he says, I was an angry pastor. And I wish I can just dump all of those sermons because I let the problems of the people around me, I let what was happening in the culture, I let my impatience, I let, and he just listed all these things, I let all that affect me. So then I brought it to the pulpit and he says, and I was literally just ripping on you guys. And I've had pastors, friends of mine, who I've listened to their sermons. I'm, I'll never forget this one time. I'm traveling somewhere several years ago. And a producer friend of mine who was putting together um, our other, you know, our, our other friend, his sermons, had said, hey, you know, when you get a chance and sent me on my phone, downloaded the app and traveling and said, yeah, I'll take, I'll take a listen. The guy was fairly new in the pulpit of this uh, fairly big church. And I got to tell you guys, I was immediately turned off. Why? Because immediately he jumped in and was just kind of laying in on the congregation for not showing up and not being committed and not meeting their financial goals. And we got people who need to be serving and we got this going on and where are you guys at? And I saw some of you guys on Facebook, you know, over at the game instead of coming to church and you lied to me. Like he took things personally and he was just attacking them. The guy lasted less than two years. And I remember one time having the opportunity to sit with him and it went in one ear out the other. And I just, I said, okay, he doesn't want to hear it. And then fast forward, I'm with this guy. We're at some event they were traveling to, and he was a part of the group. And I intentionally sat with him in the back of the bus and was just seeing how he was doing. And he was in the process of interviewing with a new church. Guys, the sad reality is he was not serving the people he left. He blamed them for all of what happened and he was still bitter. And then he's going to be going into this other church, taking that same pride, that same hurt to another congregation. The reality is I don't care what seminary, I don't care how gifted of a preacher you are or communicator. None of that matters if you do not have what the Bible says, love. And so if you don't have love for people, then get out of the ministry, plain and simple. I don't know why we continue to give people these second chances when they're not deserving of it. If you and I tell this to people all the time, and this is what Paul is alluding to, and this is why he talks about here in verse nine in a minute about we labored and toiled. If you had a lazy plumber come to your house and they were taking forever to do something, what would you do? Would you rehire them again, especially if they didn't do the job and they're blaming you for your carelessness and insulting you in your own house? So why would we put that up? That Guys, we should not put up with that when it comes to what scripture says here. And so now as we're transitioning from this love of a mother, this affectionate, desirous longing, this yearning that's consistent to this warm attachment, right? There's a comfortability that you have with these people. If you don't have that, you guys, why is that? Now I want to look at verse nine and I want to talk about this working and toiling night and day and apply that to you if you're in ministry full-time to the people that you are under in service to. Because once again here, Paul makes this, no, he makes this known because he, he, he was being accused, right? 
of people who said he was taking advantage of people for money. So when Paul and Silas and Timothy, when they were working to advance the gospel, guess what they were doing on the side? They were tent makers. And they did that because they didn't want to be a financial burden to anyone. Now, that does not mean because they did that today as a full-time pastor at a church or somebody's running a full-time nonprofit ministry that they can't you know, ask for money for donations, for tithe. We know that's biblical. But in that culture, that time, this was a new concept. And so we see that he worked in Acts 20. We see that he worked in 1 Corinthians 4, 12 and 2 Thessalonians 3, 8, that it's important to work with your own hands. Months complete expository dictionary said one of the hallmark, hallmarks of Paul's Christian ministry was hard work to the point of physical exhaustion. He mentions that in 2 Corinthians 6, 5. And then it also mentions that he performed joyfully. The commentary also writes, or excuse me, this dictionary, Paul strove for godliness and worked harder than anyone who had ever been before him, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 10, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. So Paul's not boasting in the flesh because he worked hard in the ministry. But I ask you guys, if you love the people that you serve, then you will work hard to help them in their lives. Now, that doesn't mean that you are there to solve everyone's problems and you're at their beck and call. That's not what Paul's saying here. But what he is defending is his work ethic in ministry. I mean, look at Jesus. Look at all the traveling he did. Look at the people that he ministered to. Even though it was out of his way and even though people were causing problems, he faced them. Now, this thing, when, when, where, where, I should say this phrase here where he should proclaim to you the gospel of God. So as they're working and toiling night and day, okay? So this isn't just, you know, once or twice a week type of thing. Notice this, this is a, an investment. This is like a full-time, you hear that a lot of times. We use that, that, that phrase, right? It's, it's become a full-time responsibility, meaning it's consuming me. It's taking a lot out of me. And you know what? It should because, Ministry isn't easy. I tell people ministry is sometimes the most draining, but it's the most rewarding. And I couldn't see myself doing anything else but what I'm doing. And thank God for the strength he gives me every single day. But when you work hard, you guys, what's the point? What's the purpose to proclaim the gospel? See, this life-giving message that Paul expounded to the Thessalonians included these eternal truths. Number one, Paul worked day and night to present the gospel by telling people that Christ is the Messiah. He's the son of God. Two, that Christ died for the sins of mankind. Three, that Christ rose from the dead. Four, that salvation comes by grace through faith. And five, Christ will return for his church. You see all of this being taught in his letter in 1 Thessalonians. So he says, you are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Now, you and I know, and remember Paul was an expert in the law, the Old Testament law required two or more witnesses to substantiate a person's claim. And so here, as a Jew, writing to a mixed audience that came out of paganism, Paul uses God as his witness. Now, remember earlier, he 
claimed that his approval doesn't come from man, but comes from God and that God approves of the work that he's doing. And so here God approves as a witness to him living blameless before the Thessalonians. And that comes from Numbers 35, Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, and Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. So Paul is invoking God to the Thessalonians, saying, he's my witness. He knows how I conducted myself among you. And that is so amazing, you guys, and so comforting at the same time, because when people accuse you of something that you didn't say or that you didn't do or you did, they're accusing that you did do something when you didn't, God knows, God is your witness. I had to recently tell it to somebody who says, well, we don't remember that you said such and such. And I'm like, that doesn't matter. I know what I said. God knows what I said. You can take it out of context or you can dismiss that I said it. And I'm not going to apologize for something that I didn't do. I love you. It's just like you're not getting give in to a child who's, who's throwing a fit. That's not loving the child. That's not disciplining the child. So the Thessalonians, they prospered, you guys, under Paul's leadership. And they were able to withstand persecution and share their faith because of the conduct of Paul and because he worked hard at it. Man, I tell you guys, when you look at a lot of people in the ministry today, they're not working hard. They're not working hard at all. And it's, it's depressing sometimes when you talk to people and they'll say, I really don't know them. They're very difficult to get a hold of. As though people, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself, you guys, in this category, but I'm not a local pastor of a church. So there's a difference. You know, I'm focusing on podcast shows, writing books, traveling and speaking to audiences and being involved in those type of things. My responsibility is not to a congregation of people on a weekly basis, you know? And so when you have a local church, they are, they are, their responsibility is to those people who attend that church. And a lot of people will tell me, I don't know them. We, we are not that special to where we can overlook people reaching out to us when they need help. And it's not saying, well, I can fit you in. They're not bringing in their car, you guys, to get serviced. One thing you learn in ministry is you have a plan to do something, whether that day or that week, but something major comes up and it takes precedence and you have to what? Throw everything else out and be there to comfort that family in their home. Or before you know it, this coming weekend, you're doing a funeral or you have that couple who comes up to you after church and they need to talk to you because they're on the brink of divorce. Or as I was preaching at one church recently, and I was just looking to go grab, you know, a, a, a cup of water and take a little bit of a break until the next service. And I could tell there was a guy, he was hesitant to approach me. And so I approached him and I put on my hand, I introduced him, myself to him and he thanked me for the message and it really was in, impactful. And because what I do for a living, he said, Hey, uh, do you mind if I have a, a little chat with you? whether it be now or later, I said, well, let's do it now. Just, I, I know it's, it's going to have to be a little bit quicker, but you know, if there's more to it, you know, I can give you my email and we can carry the conversation on. And he said, let me just tell you right now, if you don't mind, then I appreciate it. Well, bottom line was his son came out gay. He had nobody to tell. Now I wasn't his pastor. I wasn't, obviously I was a guest speaker, 
but I pointed him to them and he said he was going to actually do that. And then I had remember responding to one of the leaders and saying, Hey, this was the guy's name. This is what he's going through. He said that you guys are not aware of this. He said it was okay to let you guys know. Here's his contact information. Please reach out to him. And I would like to know um, if, you know, he's okay in, um, you know, what, what comes of it. And they did, they did. And of course it was difficult because of his schedule and the issues he was going, you know, on with his son. But that's a prime example of you guys of just one family who requires a lot of attention and time. And so here, when you're talking about working hard, he then mentions a father. He says, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you. Okay, so now there's a level of ministry. When you're talking about nurturing, being gentle, being patient, being an example. God is my witness, Paul says. I'm not saying anything to you that is a contradiction or taking things out of context. But I also, in working hard, working diligently night and day, I came to you, this third family metaphor, as a father instructing his children. See, what's fascinating now is he's, as he used the law as a witness, the law required a witness, God is his witness. He then uses the Greco-Roman culture because in that era, the father was the primary teacher in the home. So what Paul was saying was that his ministry consisted of caring, exhorting, and teaching the Thessalonians on how to conduct themselves in the world. I am a father of four. I have two, I have one adult child, uh, one who's about to become an adult, and two who are going into their teen years. And so, yes, my wife and I together have learned through hardships, through failure, you know, to trust God. But man, I will tell you guys that one of my commitments as a father is to be present among my children as an example, that they can see my conduct of how I handle myself in situations in day-to-day life, how I interact with their mother, how I interact and care and touch and affirm and edify and exhort each child. That's what Paul did. And you know what's so sad, you guys? And I know I'm kind of like rambling a little bit on this podcast today. I'm just kind of opening my heart, to be honest, doing this long enough to where it, it can be discouraging, isn't it, at times? Or it can be, I should say. When you want to be shepherded, you want to be cared for, and you try. And yet, there are so many people that I encounter in my travels who've never really been discipled and exhorted and encouraged and charged by a pastor in their life. Paul came to them as a father. He exhorted them. And notice the whole purpose of doing this is to help them walk worthy of God. See, he worked hard to present the gospel and he works hard as a father would to his children to teach them how to walk in a manner worthy of God. So Paul told the Ephesians the very same thing. Remember, he told them, he says, I urge you guys to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, who's the one who calls us? It's God. God's election is littered throughout the, this letter in chapter one, verse four, chapter three, verse three, chapter four, verse seven, chapter five, verse nine, chapter five, verse 24. So this phrase, who calls you, who calls you? God 
has saved mankind from their sins. But it's our choice whether or not we put our faith and trust in that. But God's election is sure when you put your faith and trust in him. And he calls us to live pure and holy lives. And guess what, guys? Ultimately, it's for his own glory. And this is a new phrase by Paul that speaks to God's presence and his active grace on earth. It's about advancing his kingdom through the gospel. The term glory, right? This is about the future consummation. So when he says that you're to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory, you and I, my friends, who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are anticipating a future consummation where you and I will experience in God's kingdom for all eternity, his rule and reign. Paul said it best in 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. Isn't that amazing? God will bring you and I safely into his heavenly kingdom. Romans 14.17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Colossians 1.13, Jesus delivered us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So he says here in verse 13 now, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So Paul and his companions, they were spokesmen of God. They were not speaking from their own authority, but from the authority of God. And so you guys, in the end of the, at the end of the day, in ministry, as we care and love for people, as a mother and a father love their children, we are called to speak God's word without compromise. We are vessels of God. God supplies us what we need. We're told that in 1 Peter 4, 11. And so I pray that you guys look around and say, how can I serve and care for the people that are around me? And I pray that would be a tremendous blessing to your life. And I know that it will be a tremendous blessing to people around you. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends.